0: few weeks, last four weeks, talking about justice through the story of Jesus starting his public ministry. And I just want to give you a brief recap of where we've been uh, and where we're going. So we've worked our way through Luke 3, where Jesus is baptized, and that led us into Luke 4 and a discussion about Jesus' time being tested in the wilderness uh, by Satan and after that, of course, he starts preaching in Galilee. He nearly gets killed by some people in his hometown. And that's not the first and only time, by the way. Um, and then he starts healing people and, and calling out demons. And, and now we're at the tail end of chapter 4 going into chapter 5. And the question, for me at least, when I was preparing this was, where do we go from here? And so... The final message in this sermon series on the subject of justice is about Jesus calling his first disciples and his invitation to join him in the work and so today we 're going to be talking about those things, and then I have a story on the end that hopefully ties all of this together for us and Just a fair warning i don 't have a story at the beginning to kind of ease our way into this we 're going straight into the Bible so Um, We are in Luke chapter 4. And since I don't have slides today, I want to give you some page numbers for the Bibles that are there in front of you. We'll be on 728, 858, and 763. Cool? Oh, look at this. Is it working? Oh, give it up for Dylan. Come on, man. Yeah. Yeah. So here... Awesome. Uh, So here we go, guys. Uh, We're going to pick this story up, end of Luke, like I said, chapter 4. And uh, Luke 4.43 says this, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Now we can read this as Jesus submitting to God's plan. And good news is an interesting choice of words here by Jesus because this phrase would have been used amongst his people to announce a change of kingship, among other significant things. And this would have been done using messengers. So these guys, they might have been perched high above everyone else. And when the good news takes place, these guys would have shouted it out to the people below. So in a way, since Jesus is planning on teaching his people about the good news, that God has come in human form to serve justice to his people, he's acting as both king and messenger here. And his message is that, that exactly, the king Is here, but he also recognizes in this moment that it's going to be good to get some help, and his chosen instrument from doing uh, for doing this comes in the form of recruiting twelve of his twelve disciples to learn from him as he teaches the ways of the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus intentionally calls twelve disciples together, and this is uh, symbolic of the twelve tribes of Israel. And you might have heard that these guys come from a variety of backgrounds. There's some fishermen, a tax collector who worked for the Romans, a rebel fighter who fought against the Roman government. There are outsiders and other enemies. And basically what Jesus is doing here is he appoints 12 men from among his disciples who are different from each other. And I wondered a little bit why he might do this. And I think the best thing that I came up with is that this group of people needs to look like uh, who he is preaching to. So this message of freeing the poor becomes uh, even more important when he starts calling these disciples together. So he establishes a kingdom that's allowing people in who weren't previously part of the club. And again, this is intentional. And it's done in reference to what Luke records Jesus saying uh, in chapter 5, verse 32 which is this, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And for me, this echoes back to earlier in the book when Jesus talks about freeing the poor. He's not looking for perfection. As a matter of fact, the way I read it, it seems like he prefers the exact opposite. And I think we can see that in the recruitment of his disciple, uh, Simon, soon to be Peter. And I'm going to say Peter throughout the throughout the, this story, um, even though he's called Simon in this portion of the text. So here's a little background on Peter. Peter, along with his brother Andrew, is a fisherman. And I don't know if fishermen would have been perceived any differently back then than they are today. Um, independent gruff, rough around the the edges. Again, it's a respectable trade, but it's definitely a trade that would have been common among the peasant population because of the hard and dangerous work that it entails. And I happen to think that convincing Peter to give up his trade as a fisherman, to follow Jesus, would have been quite a difficult task. Uh, And the way that Jesus pulls him in is by getting him to toss his nets back into the water after a, a less than ideal day of fishing. So just a little backstory: Fishing typically happens at night during this time. And if you've ever been fishing, you know that's the best fishing. Because the fish rise to the top of the water. Um, so they would have done this at night so the fish can't see them. And the nets that they used would have been visible to the fish. So Jesus is there during the day. When he starts to try to convince Peter to go back out in this boat and, and throw his net back in the water. And just imagine yourself as a fisherman. Uh, you've, you know what you're doing. Like, this is your trade. You've probably learned this uh, from your dad. You're convinced that you know what you're doing most of the time when you throw your nets into the sea. Um, and then this guy comes along and he's, you know, he's, he's giving you some instruction on on fishing. And you've just had this tough day where you didn't catch anything. And then, um, and then this rabbi shows up. He points out to the deep end of the water, and he's like, "Did you try out there?" Um, yeah, man. We, you know, we tried out there, uh, we did, and we still didn't catch anything. Uh, but the difference here is that Peter has already seen the healing power of Jesus because he healed his mother-in-law back in chapter four. Uh, she had a sickness and. And uh Peter asked him for healing, and and he did it, so peter has has witnessed this already, so because of that, he decides that he 's going to th- go out on the boat and uh, and he throws his nets back in the water and Jesus is standing there with his arms crossed, this is how I see him, and he kind of already knows what 's going to happen and and then the boat starts to tip, right because there 's so many fish they can 't handle it so Peter calls for another boat to come out, and this other boat comes out, and it's starting to haul in fish, and the two boats can't handle the fish, and um, it seems as if both of them are going to sink, and the fish are just jumping in, unprovoked. It's a miracle that's happening here in their eyes, and they can't haul them in uh, because there, there are so many. So Peter who isn't uh, as dense as he might seem in some other Bible stories, uh, he recognizes what's happening here. And, uh, and that's that Jesus is going to ask him to follow him. So he drops to his knees after this fish incident, and he's pleading with Jesus. He says, leave me here. I am a sinful man. A quick note about Peter. Peter. Uh, later in the book of uh, Luke, there is this story where Jesus is uh, he's fulfilling some prophecy about himself, and he tells the disciples to sell their cloaks and to buy swords. And the thought here is that this is done because they need to look like a rebellion when the soldiers come to take Jesus away. Now, Peter, of course, has one of these swords, and he uses one of these swords when the guards come to the Garden of Gethsemane to take away Jesus. And he chops one of their ears off. That's Peter. That's who we're talking about here. Um, and then, of course, like uh, Jesus heals that man and tells him to, to sheath the sword. And this is part of the plan. But that's the type of exuberance that Peter chooses to lead with. So back to the boat story. Um, standing by watching all of this are Peter's business partners, James and John. And these guys are fishermen, the same as Peter. And Peter's brother, Andrew, is there as well, uh, who is also among the disciples. And, and they're watching all of this, and the Bible says that as they're watching this, they were amazed when they saw it happen. And they understand what's going on here. Uh, they see a man with the power to control forces of nature. So James and John decide to become Jesus' disciples as well. So get a load of these guys. Um, later, later in the Bible, they're known as the, uh, in, in Luke chapter 9, actually, they're known as the sons of thunder. And here's why. Uh, the disciples in Jesus have been doing some ministry, and they are about to embark on their journey to Jerusalem. So they send messengers ahead to announce that the party is coming through, and they're looking for some hospitality on their journey. Uh, And this time, the messengers, uh, they're looking for some places to stay in a Samaritan town. Now, uh, you may already know that Samaritans and Jews don't exactly get along, and the assumption here, when you dig into the text, is that the Samaritans don't want to welcome Jesus because he's on his way to Jerusalem, and they're afraid that he's going to go and worship on this same mountain that their people worship on. So, so they say no. And then the messengers return to Jesus, and and they know uh, and to, to let Jesus know that the traveling party won't be welcomed. And James and John hear about this. And here's their response. They say to Jesus, "They say, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up?" I wonder if Jesus was like, "Nah, we can we can probably just go around. Like, (laughs) no, no reason to call down fire to uh, you know uh, provide nuclear wasteland for an entire town. We can we can figure this out." Um, So Jesus rebukes them, and then he tells them a story about how hard it's going to be to continue to be his followers uh, from now on until his death, and then furthermore after that. So there you have it. Peter, James, John. Three guys who at different points in the Bible express a bit of a homicidal rage. This is Jesus's inner circle. Um... (laughs) Back again to the boat story, Peter's on his knees, and after seeing the miracle of the fish jumping in the nets, he calls himself a sinner, and he asks for Jesus to leave him alone. Jesus tells him to get up, because Peter is exactly the type of person Jesus is looking for, and he says to him this, don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people, And later, after Jesus restores Peter, when denying him three times at his crucifixion, he tells him that he's the rock on which the church will be built. So what I absolutely love about these stories, and the calling of the disciples in general, is that Jesus is recruiting people Uh, he recently talked about in this synagogue experience in Nazareth when they ran him out of town and tried to throw him Uh, over a cliff. Jesus talked about freedom for the poor, and the poor doesn't necessarily mean uh, materially poor. It means sinners, too. Um, So Jesus is staying true to his calling to set the poor free by enlisting people who resemble those he is trying to reach. Now, of course, these 12 are significant, and there's others who are sent out to prepare people, and those multiply, and those multiply, and on, and on, and on, and on, and on, until today. And I got into one of these, like, brain racking holes this week where I was like, all right, so Seth is connected to Russ, and Russ is connected to David, and David is connected to, to whoever, and whoever is connected to, to, who, to whoever, and... And I just got to wondering, like, if this was like an Ancestry.com sort of thing, like, can we trace ourselves as disciples all the way back to one of these twelve, and then to Jesus? And I was just like, eh, that would be hard work, <laughs> but but maybe, right? We are here because this started. Anyway, uh, this this all happens. Uh, because later in the Bible, this, the disciples are charged with taking the message of Jesus to the world. And who better to do it than a bunch of ragamuffins, right? Um, this is it. Matthew 28. Uh, a famous passage, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we can read that verse and think about these stories and what does it take to be a disciple? What does it take to, to have these things, to believe in something, to have faith in Jesus, and then to express that outwardly in our lives? And I want to give you three points that I think can be very helpful uh, when thinking about these things and, and living out uh, uh, a, a Christian life as people who, who are following Jesus. And the first thing is this. I'm really going preacher style here today because I'm giving you three C's. The first one is conviction. For some of us, we go through a period of time when something happens in our lives that causes us to feel a certain way about things or perhaps a certain group of people. A lot of times this changes from negative... A positive. And this happens in a variety of ways, right? So we witness an injustice. Something happens to us in our youth. Uh, there's a life-changing event that sets our lives on a new trajectory. And when these things happen, I think that it can be a fairly daunting task um, to, to really live in this moment. And it takes some time to process what we're going through. But on the other end of our convincing experiences, we decide to act in an attempt to bring justice into a situation. And from a Christian perspective, I think this story is best seen through the lens of the Apostle Paul and his conversion. So, remember Paul um, is this man who persecuted Christians and was keen to arrest them simply for following Jesus. And his life changes in Acts chapter 9 when Jesus interrupts this by blinding him and asking him why he's persecuting him and his followers. And of course, Saul, soon to be Paul, is convicted of his wrongdoings. He decides to follow Jesus, and furthermore, he becomes the person to bring the message of Jesus and of God's kingdom being on earth to the Roman world. Conviction. The second thing is compassion there are some among us who maybe we don't need a convicting experience, uh, that creates this feeling of compassion for those who are, uh, poor in the need of the healing power of Jesus. But all of us as believers are charged with the commandment from Jesus, uh, to have compassion on those who need it. Um, I want to share this quote with you from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, it says this, We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. If you don't know who Bonhoeffer is, I highly suggest reading some of his stuff and uh, the story of his life will really help that quote make sense to you. Um, it makes sense in this environment, but when you reflect on his life and know the things that he did, um, he is a man with compassion and conviction, to be sure. We serve a compassionate God. We have been given a compassionate Savior. And we are called to be compassionate people. First, uh, First Peter 3, uh, verses 8 through 12 says this. Finally, all of you, be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Conviction, compassion. The third C is commitment. And It's one thing to have conviction and compassion for a cause. It's another thing entirely to put the work in to make sure something is done about it. And the key thing that we should be committed to as believers, of course, is Jesus. And when we talk about Jesus and commitment, we should think about personal sacrifice and humility. And Jesus gives us a model to follow in John 13 when he washes his disciples' feet. And I'm going to read this whole story for us. This is uh, right at the beginning, verse 1. Before the Passover celebration... Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't understand what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me, Simon Peter exclaimed. Then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, A person who has bathed all over does not need to wash, except for the feet, to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord. And you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master. Nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things... God will bless you for doing them. I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, Judas. But this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth. Anyone who who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me. And anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the father who sent me. In an act of humility, Jesus takes on a task that none of the disciples believe is meant for him when he dons a robe and washes feet. Outside of the cross, man, like is there another act of humility of this significance? I don't know that there is. And the fact that he's like, I'm giving you this example so that you can follow this example to put yourself under those I am trusting you to let this message be known. And I think that matters. I think it's significant. So, during my time as a student minister, I had the opportunity to be around some pretty cool teenagers. Um, And when you start serving people uh, during this time in their lives, while they're growing up, figuring out who they are, asking hard questions about their faith and their existence, you really get a unique perspective on the world. And kids today are not like, you know, when some of us grew up in the 90s or in the 80s or even before then, right? Like they have access to more information these days. And they are ultimately, because of that, committed to causes for which they have passion at a pretty early age. I can't remember being like that, you know, passionate about much of anything in high school except like going to the parties on the weekend. Um, now, maybe that's not all kids, but it was certainly case with uh, the case with the teenagers uh, I had the privilege to serve during this five-year stretch I was at uh, the ministry previous to this one, and. What I want to do is I want to tell you a story about these kids <laughs> and how they leaned into their own convictions, compassion, and commitment. And I'll do my best to get through this. Um, so of, of any, anything that, uh, that went on in the last five, six years that like shook me to my core was the death of Leela Alcorn, um, who attended he- King's High School. And if you don't know who Leela is, Leela was a trans woman uh, who was going through things that high school kids go through. And Leela decided to end her life um, because of some uh, some things that were going on, and she wasn't getting the support that she truly needed. From a community, and that community happened to be a Christian community. And before she died, she penned a letter um, kind of detailing that process and and talking about the injustice that she suffered at the hands, um, you know, as as her story goes, at the hands of uh, the people who she trusted, who she should have been able to trust the most. And just serving teenagers at that time and knowing the type of teenagers that we had in our youth group, I, I took that story and, 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 I, and I wore it because, it, it again, like I said, it really bothered me. So we showed up to youth group on a Sunday night. We used to have a youth group at Life Spring on Sunday night. And, and we decided, I decided that I want to kind of explore this because I knew the kids were talking about it a little bit. So we were talking about it and, you know, kids had their opinions and it was going a certain way and I could feel the conviction and the compassion that was coming out of them. Um, and our youth group was, I mean, it was a hodgepodge, man. I mean, we had uh, we had kids from the LGBT community. We had a girl who had a baby and she was like, can I bring my baby to youth group? And I was like, I don't care if you bring your baby to youth group. Like, it was just one of those youth groups where, we were welcoming in everybody because that's the way that we thought things should be. And so we got to talking about this story and, and I made this statement when I could feel, like I said, when I could feel that conviction and that compassion and I made this statement where I was like, I'm convinced that if somebody from that walk of life showed up for this youth group to attend here, uh, we would work really hard to do it the right way, or something to that effect. And they agreed. They were like, "Yeah, we could do that. Like, that sounds re- really, really reasonable, right?" And then, um, and then I drove home that night, and I got to thinking, like, what did I just say <laughs> to, in front of these kids? Like, it was this. Um, it felt like this really bold statement. And um, truth, truth told, like I was like. God, did I act in arrogance? Like, am I too sure of myself? Like, you know, I, I, I said this thing, and I believe it to be true, but am I, am I overreacting? Man, and wouldn't you know it, three weeks later, <laughs> a trans person shows up to our youth group. I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> So now we're in this, right? Now we're, now we're trying to figure this out. We just had like this emotional experience in front of the youth group, and, and this, was, this was happening now. So we'd been uh, praying for this person. I didn't know at the time, but one of the girls in our youth group had sent me a text, and she was like, hey, can you pray for my friend? And I was like, yeah, we'll pray for your friend. What's, what's going on? Well, she's just dealing with some tough things. I'm like, okay, she's dealing with some tough things. Well, invite her to youth group. I don't know I don't know what the, that we were there yet and I was like well okay we'll fig- we'll figure this out so eventually um, we met this person and uh and uh and, and it was happening right so I'd made this claim and it was happening and and um she made the decision to transition and and I and I knew the kids man I knew the kids and and they were uh they were receptive and they and they, they, they welcomed they welcomed him in, uh, named Spencer. They welcomed Spencer in, and became part of the youth group. He would show up. He would read. He would ask questions. I mean, just just the most in tune kid uh, that I'd ever that we'd ever had in youth group. So, we, um, man, it was, you know, it was like this this person had come from this walk of life that some of us didn't understand and some of us were convinced that we would be able to do this right and and um and it happened and so we prayed and we asked questions and and we didn't know another way to do it so so that's what we did man and um spencer started going on trips with us and then we went to chicago and we started having we were on a missions trip up in chicago and he got to asking me questions about being baptized and I was like yeah absolutely you can be, a ba- you can be baptized on the, the trip in Chicago and then on one of our free days we, we went out to Lake Michigan and there was a thunderstorm in the background and we got into Lake Michigan and, and Spencer was baptized our job is to lead people to the well I guess, sorry, I, mean, I get emotional thinking about this story. Because so, it matters, right? That's our job. Our job is to lead people to Jesus. That's the well from which we drink. That is our responsibility. And I'm committed to that, regardless what walk of life somebody comes from. And that's where I find the elements of justice. They're right here in front of us, man. It's inherent and built into the process of following Jesus and becoming his disciple. Everyone gets a shot. It's not an exclusive club. It's not meant for the conceited, the righteous, the elite, the people who hoard possessions and steal, the people who call others less than. No, it's for those who truly repent. It's for those like Peter who repents and chops an ear off. It's for James and John, who want to nuke an entire town. (laughs) Those people who acknowledge their brokenness, say the truth about who they are, and work every day on becoming better followers of Jesus. (sighs) The satisfying thing for me, when I think about stories like this, is knowing that we are fallible, And because we're faithful, we get to see it work anyway. And that, I think, is the true power of justice. All right. That's enough of that. So, one of the things that really drew me here uh, almost a year ago um, when I decided to, when our family decided to come here to Echo was the... um, the fact that the church uh, supported a group called Love Boldly. And Love Boldly is uh, a ministry that's based in Cincinnati or based in Columbus now? It's based in Ohio. (laughs) And uh, they serve the LGBTQ community. And some of you guys may know Kevin. Kevin Shad is a person who attends church here. And um, Kevin is on the board at Love Boldly. And uh, what he's going to do right now is, and i got to be honest with you, like I was going to preach this message anyway, and then Kevin was like, can I talk about Love Boldly on Sunday? I was like, yeah. So this is a complete coincidence that this lined up. But what Kevin's going to do is he's going to talk a little bit about Love Boldly. And um, there's some events coming up and some things, some volunteer opportunities, some of which you guys have done in the past. And, and uh, he's just going gonna to fill us in.
1: First, I want to say thank you to Echo Church uh, for being so supportive of Love Boldly. Uh, We've had a partnership in ministry now for the last couple of years, and, uh, you know, it's been a blessing for Love Boldly that you guys have helped us out so much, both financially and all your work that you've done. Um, And, you know, the only negative is that I ended up coming here as a result, so you had to put up with that. But uh, for those of you that don't know what Love Boldly is. We are a reconciling ministry. We are attempting to reconcile the LGBTQ community to the church. And we do that in a couple of ways. First, we recognize that the church has done a really, really poor job with that community. Um, And so we uh, work uh, in training. Uh, We do church leadership training to try to get the church to show God's love a lot better that community. Uh, The second thing that we do is we actually reach out directly to that community, and we do so by things like uh, showing up at Pride events. And so that's where you come in this year. Uh, We are going to be at uh, Cincinnati Pride and Northern Kentucky Pride this year. And you can help us out in uh, three different ways. The first is, I've got these little cards that uh, basically say on behalf of the church, that we are uh, sorry for the way that we have treated you as a church. And you can take these, write a personal note on the back, and then we will be handing those out to folks at the Pride Festival. So that's kind of level one if you want to help us out with that. And by the way, you can do all of these things if you choose to. Second is that we will be in the Cincinnati Pride Parade uh, uh, as Love boldly, and that is on June 22nd. The commitment's about... Roughly two hours from 11 to 1, no training necessary. We'll tell you where to show up. You get a free t-shirt and you just walk the parade with us and show God's love in that way. Uh, The third way that you can help is that you can actually partner with us at the festival. We have a booth where we set up, uh, we have a lot of different things to interact with the community, um, amongst which is we have these walls that um, we ask people to write on and they just can write whatever they want on them uh, in response to a question that we ask on the wall. So um, if you are interested in that, I've got sign-up sheets with me today. You can come and see me afterwards and sign up. Um, And that's for about three hours on on that Saturday, June 22nd. And uh, you do need to attend training in order to be able to do that. It's about an hour training. If you can't make it on June 22nd, we're also setting up at Northern Kentucky Pride, which is June the 9th. So you can sign up for that as well and be in the festival that way. And again, we just thank you for uh, the support that you continually give us. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. Um,
0: Loveboldly's website is loveboldly.com loveboldly.net. If you have more questions about that organization, I would encourage you to go there and find out what they're all about. So um, thank you for being here. Uh, If you're new, you're visiting, and you have questions, I'll be hanging around. Uh, If you need prayer, that kind of thing, let me know. Be glad to pray with you. Um, But what I'd like to do right now is just pray, and then we'll go about our day. So let's go to the Lord. Father God, um, we thank you for this church and for your son. Um, it is only through him that we're able to do anything, and uh, we will be eternally grateful for um, just the, the, the benefit of favor that you give us to be reconciled to you. Um, God, I pray a blessing over our congregation today as they set out for their week, and that you would draw closer to them and, uh, and just encourage them uh, to act with compassion, Uh, to the people that they come in contact with this week. God, we love you, and we thank you for this place. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. God bless.